and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A couple of weeks ago when I was looking at the messages that I was going to preach again, knowing I was going to go through the life of David and see that uh, in the story of David, we see the story of Goliath. Everybody needs to learn how to battle giants. We talked about everybody needing somebody like Nathan, somebody who's willing to confront us when we are doing wrong. We saw as he sinned with Bathsheba and murdered her husband Uriah the Hittite, that great and wonderful psalm that David responded with in Psalm 51, the one that says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. But I was thinking about this message about everybody needs a friend, and, and so I decided to do something that I do every once in a while. I sought some help from other people. So I sent out uh, quite a number of emails, and I even posted it on my Facebook page. It was a request to people to share with me what makes a good friend. I said, I, I know you want to all give me that spiritual answer. Oh, Jesus is my friend. Okay, I understand it. I want to know what a real friend, your best friend, is really all about. Well, I was inundated by the replies. I got well over eight pages, single-spaced answers from people about what a friend is. It's amazing stuff. And during the course of sorting it all out and using it in the message, I started hunting up songs that were about friends too. And if we had some of our equipment maybe a little bit newer, which we're working on, I would have played for you this morning some of the songs, like the theme from the TV show Friends. Or those of you that come from my age group may remember the James Taylor song, You've Got a Friend. I finally came across two songs, though, that I thought described friendship in most unusual ways. I'm not going to tell you the title, but let's see if you recognize this one. Blame it all on my roots, I showed up in boots and ruined your black tie affair. <laughs> the last one to know, the last one to show, I was the last one you thought you'd see there. And I saw the surprise and the fear in your eyes when I took his glass of champagne. And I toasted you, said, honey, we may be through, but you'll never hear me complain. Because I got friends in low places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. And I'll be okay. I'm not big on social graces. Think I'll slip on down to the oasis. Oh, I got friends in low places. Y'all ever hear that one? Garth Brooks, huh? That's one description of friends. On the other end is a song that I have loved for years. It goes this way. Packing up the dreams God planted in the fertile soil of you. I can't believe the hopes he's granted means a chapter of your life is through. But we'll keep you close as always. It won't even seem you've gone. Because in our hearts in big and small ways, we'll keep the love that keeps us strong. And friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. And a friend will not say never, because the welcome will not end. Though it's hard to let you go, in the Father's hands we know that a lifetime's not too long to live as friends. Maybe you heard that one too before, Michael W. Smith. Let me share with you a few things that people sent back to me, what they thought a good friend was all about. The very first one I got back said this, A good friend is someone who doesn't email me stuff to write for him. 
And then they said, sorry, couldn't resist. And then John Folks went on to write. <laughs> this is John now. What I look for in a friend is someone who wants me to be their friend. That's interesting. Another person wrote, a friend is someone who sticks by you no matter what. It's someone you laugh so hard with that if you've been drinking water, it comes out of your nose. It's someone you can call in the middle of the night with a problem or because you're depressed and know it won't bother them. That's a friend. Here's one of my favorites. It says, life is like a mosaic with God in the middle and multicolored family and friends all around me. The brightest, more vibrant colors are in the center with the colors becoming more muted towards the outside. I can move anywhere in that circle, but my strength is at the core where God and my best Christian friends and my family the ones that I'm speaking to at the moment, are there to, to support. And even if I don't see a friend for a long time or ever again, their presence in my life has changed me, good or bad. Best friends are the ones that stay at the center with me and Jesus and make my color shine brightly, even if I don't feel like shining. How about one more? A friend is someone who is like-minded in their faith. Someone who can challenge me as well as be able to share and listen when communicating. I look for someone who loves a good cup of coffee and enjoys talking and loves to laugh, mostly laugh. I don't know how that would fit in with your definition of what a real friend is. Well, you heard Jimmy Reed already from 1 Samuel chapter 18. It is one of the classic passages in the Bible about friendship. And this friendship of David and Jonathan took on legendary proportions. And the one thing that made their friendship so very unique was that Jonathan was the heir apparent to the throne that his father, King Saul, held. And yet at the same time, he knew that David had been anointed by Samuel to actually replace Saul. But at some point in their friendship, I don't know exactly when it happened, Jonathan came to realize that, but it did not hinder his friendship with David. Now this morning what I want to do is share with you what I would call the four eyes of friendship. And the very first one I want to tell you about is what I would call the interest in friendship. The interest in friendship. Now let me ask this question. How many of you live uh, within 100 miles of where you were born? How many here live within 100 miles or so of where you were born? Okay, some of you. Yeah, one of the big reasons that drives interest and friendship is the increased mobility of our society. We are constantly moving. Uh, I think for myself, I have lived in six different states and one foreign country. You know, we're a very mobile society. And increased mobility takes us away from our families, puts a greater emphasis on having good friends. Like this might be a little bit scary. I read the other day that one out of every five families moves every year. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that they move from Texas to California. It could mean, you know, Nancy and I have done this before, we've moved from one place in town to another place in town. That's what it might mean. For some people, it might be moving from Texarkana to Galveston. Maybe a little bit of difference. So is it any wonder sometimes that we live in what's kind of a disconnected society? Mom and dad live in this state. Grandma and grandpa live in this state. The grandchildren live elsewhere. I mean, brothers and sisters are scattered around all over the country. 
I think about Nancy's family, for example. The five children and the grandchildren of Nancy's parents live in seven different states. And they're not all bunched together. Illinois, Wisconsin, Nebraska, New York, Texas, Alabama, California. And because they're so far from family again, friendships are very important because we're no longer as close to our families as we used to be. We need relationships. And guess what? That's exactly the way God wired us up to be, to be friends. Remember even back in the story of Adam and Eve, Adam was sitting there and he was having fun counting the animals, naming them. Let's see. Oh, you look like a aardvark. Next. Uh, Duck. But it says at the end of the day, God said he has a lot of fun with the animals, but there was no one for him really to be friends with, if you will. And so he makes Adam this friend, makes this woman, gives him his wife. See, without contact, without friendships, if we try to be on our own and say, I don't need anybody else, Uh, Folks, we get in deep weeds. In fact, let me ask you, have you ever noticed that whenever somebody goes on a shooting rampage, they almost always describe the shooter as a loner? Didn't have very many friends, kept to himself. See, we need friendships. We need relationships in order to make us complete the way God designed us to be. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 18. It says that David was separated from his family. I don't know if you caught that. In verse 2, it says, Saul took him in that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And this is the day after, by the way, that he had killed Goliath. He says, oh, come live with me. David had a very important position in King Saul's family. It was really wonderful, I'm sure, for David, but he lived a long way away from his brothers and his father. And so it became very important that he have somebody in his life like Jonathan so that he could have some all-important interaction with someone else. Well, that's the importance. Let's go to the next I. I'd call it the institution of friendship. See, institutions are things that give us stability. For example, we say marriage is an institution. Why? Because it brings stability to family life. We call schools institutions. Why? Because they bring stability to our education. Hospitals are institutions. They offer us stability with our health and our health care. I'm tempted to say something, but I'll move on. It's a big deal today, I know. And guess what? Friendships are institutions, too. Why? Because they bring stability to our relationships. Our world is a world of turmoil, and friendships offer us stability in the middle of a constantly shifting society. Let me draw your attention to three keys to having a a, uh, friendship. One of them is a common ground. We need common ground. It's difficult to have a close relationship with anybody that you don't have something in common with. Now, I don't know what you thought when you saw today's worship folder. It says everybody needs a friend, and you see two guys exchanging stuff. You probably wondered, what is this all about? Everybody needs a friend. Two guys, one guy's giving him a rag, and the other guy's giving him a sword. doesn't seem like a fair trade to me. But see, David and Jonathan had something in common. They were both brave men. 
They were both warriors. They were both in the armed forces, if you will, of Saul's army. They were probably very close in age. They had that common ground from which to grow. The second thing is a common bond. Now, David and Jonathan had a common bond. They actually made a covenant with each other, according to verse 3. Verse 1 also tells us that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Imagine that. David says we were connected at the heart. We were heart partners. We were knit together. How many of you watched the old Andy Griffith show from time to time? You all know that one? I was watching this not long ago. And on this one, um, Opie gets a new friend. And to seal that friendship, they became pinky partners. <laughs> this was their bond. That was the way that they signified that they were going to be friends forever. You know, when I was a kid one time, we actually went so far, we'd just seen a cowboy and Indian movie. We all cut our hands, and we became blood brothers. <laughs> We kind of bonded over the years. Now, we may not make formal friendships like that, being pinky partners or becoming blood brothers, but we do often enter into these unspoken relationships about friendship. The third thing I would tell you is a common defense. You know, when a bully picks on your friend, guess what? He ends up having to deal with both of you. I mean, friendship brings about common defense. Friends stick up for each other. Even Jesus said to his disciples, he said, greater love has no man than this. Than what? That someone lays down his life for his friends. You willing to go to the mat for somebody else? Put your life on the line for somebody else? Now, if you go and read on in 1 Samuel, you're going to get to the point where you read stories about how Jonathan proved to be a defense for David. You got to remember that God had chosen David to be king, and Saul knew it. And on several occasions, Saul, who you know was a few bricks shy of a load, you know, where the elevator didn't go all the way to the top, and that kind of stuff, he got a little bit crazy from time to time. He tried to kill David. And you got to remember that every time he tried to kill David, what did Jonathan do? Jonathan went and said, "David, you better run. Dad's after you again." Jonathan was heir to that throne. Now, we would expect in that day where assassinations were rather routine that Jonathan would have done something to get David out of the way. But Jonathan knew that God had selected David, and so he saw to it that God's new king would be protected. You also need to know that the only way that someone outside the royal family would ever be king would be if everybody in the royal family were dead. Factor that out. So what did Jonathan know? Not only did Jonathan know that someday David would be king, but he also knew for that to happen, Jonathan himself had to die to be out of the way before David could ever become king. Let's talk a little bit about the importance of friendship. We know that friendship offers us relationships, it offers us some stability, but there's an importance of friendship, too, that God speaks about. Let me give you three reasons. First of all, it's very serious. Now, we can laugh. You know, I read you some funny things before about a good friend is somebody you can laugh so hard that water comes out of your nose. 
uh, that's kind of funny. You know, like John wrote, a, a good friend is somebody who doesn't write you and ask you to help him write his sermon for him. Yeah, that's kind of funny. But yet friendship, when you think about it, is really very serious. In verse 3 again, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. That's the seriousness of friendship. Now that word covenant that he used there is the same word that's used way back in, with God and his people around Mount Sinai. When he brought Israel out of Egypt, he made a covenant with them. He made a pact with them. Or if you like, he became pinky partners with them. Not quite that flimsy. But part of that covenant was even the Ten Commandments. It was a very serious matter. I will be your God. You will be my people. See, David and Jonathan were serious about their friendship as well. No doubt you've heard, friends don't let what? Friends don't let friends drive drunk. Y'all heard that before. The implication is that friendship is serious and that a true friend will put another person's interests ahead of their own. Friendships and good friends like that are often hard to find. The second thing is that friendship is faithful. When we consider David stood in the way of Jonathan ever becoming king, we realize that there was faithfulness here in this relationship. And so despite Saul's temper tantrums, Jonathan remained a faithful friend to David. I mean, on any occasion, David could have used, or Jonathan could have used his friendship with David and betrayed him, turned him over to his father. But instead, Jonathan said, no, I am going to be faithful, not only to David, but I'm going to be faithful because God calls me to be faithful. God chose David to be king, not me. And so I need to be faithful to see to that that happens for God and for the country of Israel. I don't know about you, but over the years, I have found it difficult at different times to be faithful to a friendship. You know, some of you maybe have been through experiences like that where your friendship was really put to the test and maybe you actually were the person who walked away. I mean, one person wrote me several paragraphs back about friendship that was extremely negative and at the end apologized and says, I don't think that's what you wanted to hear. But this person described people who had been in their life and promised to be in their life who just walked away from them when things got really hard. I mean, I know of somebody, for example, who was asked to lie about his best friend with the promise of a job promotion in the same company. But I think all of us know that faithfulness breeds trust, and trust is something that's not cheap. There's a third thing about friendship, and it's constant. You know, in our day and age, it's kind of hard to maintain constancy in friendships. I mean, having moved like I have several times, six different states, lived halfway around the world for three years in Hong Kong, you know, my wife, the same thing. You know, we've left friends behind. There's no doubt about it. If you're anything like me, if you've ever moved, sometimes you exchange a few emails over several months, but before you know it, you're just not as close to these people as you used to be. But friends, I'm here this morning to tell you that there is one friendship that can remain constant forever, through eternity, and that's a friendship with Jesus. 
I mean, Jesus is that one friend that will never, ever leave us. Jesus will never, ever move to another state. Jesus will never, ever move to another country and leave you behind. Jesus will never, ever lie to the boss about you. In Proverbs 18, verse 24, it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That friend is Jesus. Jesus' friendship is permanent. Jesus' friendship is constant. That leads me to the fourth I, because it's really about Jesus. It's the initiative of friendship. I want you to know, first of all, that Jesus has a great interest in having you as a friend. He wants to know you and love you the way you like to know and love the people you call friends today. Jesus instituted friendship. Jesus created us. He wired us up, if you will, in such a way that we would want to be in relationship with other caring people. He has shown us how important that is by going all the way to the cross. But let's understand one last thing. It's the initiative of that friendship. When Jesus told his disciples that a friend would lay his life down for a friend, he went on to say this. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you. See, the initiative of our friendship with Jesus comes from where? It comes from Jesus. Jesus is the one who always makes the first move. You know, and I don't know, could you call Jesus your friend? Uh, when I was teaching high school and we used to do chapel, I remember a song I played uh, for chapel. It was a Doobie Brothers song. Can you imagine a great Doobie Brothers song for chapel? You know that song, Jesus is Just All Right. Okay. No, he's not. <laughs> you know, I think about it. Jesus is just all right. Oh, man. Jesus is just. No, Jesus is more than just all right. I mean, Jesus is absolutely it. I remember the very first time I ever thought about how cool it was to have a friendship with Jesus. Wow, that's really cool. Let me tell you two really cool things about our friendship with Jesus. The first of these I would call reconciliation. Now, I grew up in a little town, Seward, Nebraska. There was 3,180 people most of the time I grew up. I had three really good friends. In fact, we, we really literally went from kindergarten through college together in the same town. My friend Jim, my friend Danny, and for the longest time, my friend Don, before he went away to college. We did almost everything together. You know, they even had an affectionate term for us. We were called the Rat Pack. We were always together. But, you know, there were times when we really fought. We really got mad at each other. And there were times when we stormed away and said, we're not going to talk anymore. We want nothing to do with each other. But, you know, then a couple of days would pass and we would be reconciled. See, Jesus offers us a chance to reconcile with God. Jesus always comes and offers us 
a chance to have a relationship with God. I don't know if you two thought about that when you brought this little one to church today. This was God's offer to be in relationship with Mackenzie. See, Jesus is our ultimate friend because it's he and he alone who gives us the avenue to reach back to God. Our sin has separated us totally from God. Some of that is because we just plain simple walked away from him. I mean, how many people have you ever known? How many people have I ever known who got confirmed and then walked away? Walked away from God. Or they were kind of on fire for the Lord and all of a sudden the fire went out. You all know people like that? I do. Sometimes people are standing out there, they've walked away, and they somehow wonder how they will ever get back to where they used to be. Jesus makes that possible. Jesus is the one who, by his initiative, because he loves us so much, says, I will be your bridge back to the Father. I find that really cool that Jesus would do that. There's a second part of this, and it's renewal. If we're honest with ourselves, friends, there are times we get to feeling that God isn't really there anymore. You know, that our prayers are kind of hitting a, a ceiling and bouncing back. We've all felt that way at different times. Sometimes we go through great despair because of things happen. People die out of time. Things don't work out the way we thought or hoped or wished they would work. And we wonder where God is. Or maybe we've just plain simple walked away from our friendship with Jesus. We, we moved. I mean, it's not, even, it's not strange to have people actually move from one city to another city and the last thing that they hook up, they hook up their cable, they hook up their phone, they, they hook up their gas, they hook up their electricity. The last hookup is what? Jesus. And as a result, that hookup never really takes place again. You know, maybe our relationship with him got a little cold. Maybe our relationship got a little bit stale. But friends, Jesus, who is willing to take us back to God, is also willing to renew us. The Gospel of Luke tells a really great story. It comes after the story of the resurrection. Many of you know it. There's two guys that have been in Jerusalem. They're walking back to their home city of Emmaus. And, and they are in utter despair because they've been in Jerusalem and they have just seen Jesus, the Messiah, hanging on a cross and seen him die. Evidently, they had not heard that Jesus had risen from the dead yet, but as they're walking, suddenly somebody else comes alongside of them and begins to walk. And the person who's walking with them, of course, is Jesus. Now, Jesus looks at them and says, they look like a couple of Lutherans who were baptized in vinegar. You know, just moping down the road. And so he asked them, what's going on? And, and they said, what? You haven't heard about it? Jesus, the Messiah, they took him, they beat him up, and they crucified him, and now he's dead. Woe is us. The Bible says something that I find really interesting. I'd love to have been there. It says that then Jesus began to teach them, starting with Moses and the prophets. It was a three-mile Bible study. Well, Jesus took him through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then got into prophets like Joel and Ezekiel and all of that. 
and he's telling them why it happened and what happened and, and who it happened to and what was going to happen from there on. And as he told them that, even though their hearts felt warm, they acknowledged that, they still didn't know who he was. But when they got close to Emmaus, it was getting to be about 6 o'clock in the evening. They asked him to stay for supper. Uh, Jesus says, okay. And they sit down at the table, and it says Jesus took bread, and he broke it, and he gave thanks. And immediately what happened? They knew who Jesus was. Wow. See, at that point, <laughs> Jesus disappears. And these two men said, man, didn't our hearts burn within us as we walked and he taught us? And the breaking of bread suddenly reminded us of the Passover, the Passover lamb who dies for our sins. And they get up right away and they run back to town, back to Jerusalem, because they're so excited. What's happened is that Jesus gave them renewed hope and Jesus gave them a renewed spirit. I mean, Jesus met with them, and he renewed their faith. I mean, if you walked away and your faith has been cold, Jesus wants to reconcile you, and Jesus wants to fan that flame back up. You know, yesterday it got a little cold, got some wood, put it in the fireplace, start the thing up, it's burning, but it kind of gets down, you've got a bunch of logs, they don't look like they're going. So what do you do? You kind of poke around on them a little bit, you renew them, and all of a sudden, the flames come back up again. The human friendships are extremely important to us, no doubt about it. But human friendships, I hate to tell you, don't always last. The very first friend that I can ever remember having was a young boy named Howard Glass. I went to part of first grade with him in Denver, Colorado. I have no idea whatsoever whatever became of Howard Glass. I mean, many friends you had when you were young, they're long gone. Friends I had at teenagers, Danny and Don and Jim, well, two of them live in Colorado, one of them lives in Kansas. We live a long ways away. Even friends that I have had as an adult, either as a teacher or as a coach or as a pastor, many of them have drifted away. This is going to sound kind of bad, but you know, even even my friendship with my wife will not last forever. One day or another, one of us will pass away, and the other of us will be left alone. But friends, there is one friend who will still be with us. And that friend who's always with us is Jesus. Jesus will always be there. Jesus is that brother, that friend that Proverbs is talking about, the one that sticks closer to you than a brother. He is the friend that was willing to lay down his life for you. I don't know what your relationship with, with Jesus is today. I can only halfway assume that because you're here in a Christian church on a Sunday morning that you might have a relationship with Jesus. But then again, I also know that just because you sit in McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac either. Just because you stand in your garage does not make you, I was going to say a Toyota, but we wouldn't, maybe we wouldn't have a Toyota today. But just because you stand in your garage doesn't make you a Ford F-150 either. It has to do with a relationship that's established, a friendship that's established. The thing is, is that Jesus wants to reconcile you to the Father. He wants to renew your faith, but there's also the part of the deal where through the Spirit we respond to him, where we agree to walk 
with him. The prophet Amos, and you all heard of the prophet Amos, I'm sure, in chapter 3, verse 3 says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Or in another translation, do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? My question to you today, friends, is this. Have you agreed to meet with Jesus yet? See, in order to walk with Jesus as a friend, we have to agree to meet with him. He's extended the invitation. All we need to do is say, Lord, here I am. Jesus has taken the initiative. He has called us by the gospel, lightened us with his gifts. What's left for us to do but to respond to it? And the question is whether you have or whether you will. Let's pray. Father, your word does say that if two walk together, how can two people walk together unless they've agreed to meet? We want to meet you face to face someday, Jesus. And for us to do that, you have extended the invitation. You have said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and you will give us rest. You've extended the invitation. You've called us by the gospel. You send the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, today we, we say, Lord, I, I want you in my life. I want you to be my Savior, my Lord, my best friend. And even for those of us who've said that time and time again, each and every day, Lord, we need to kind of renew that response to say, yes, indeed, each and every day we will walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.